I am super excited. I am very nervous. I have butterflies all around my belly and I want to throw up. That's the way I feel every time I speak. And today is like the Super Bowl of those events. So there's more butterflies. It's more uh, throw up. And so, um, yep, here we go. Don't say those things, Tim. Stay on point. Here we go. Here's what you need to know. Today is a powerful message. We planned this back in January uh, to do this series this um, week. And I was going to change it. Um, we titled it Be the Church. And so cool. Actually, the full title of it we decided not to go with because it was kind of counterproductive. Uh, the full title was Don't Go to Church, Be the Church. <laughs> but we want you to come back to church. And so we felt like it would have been mixed emotions, you know, like, so I'm really excited to be here. I know many of you are really excited to be here. But with all that said, today's message is a super heavy message. And um, this is the kind of message that you need to know up front. This may offend some of you. Um, so right off the bat, I just want to help you, help me help you, help me help you. And so say this out loud with me. I love our pastor. I love our pastor. He's a handsome man. And he loves Jesus. And he loves me. There you go. Uh, you said it first. So anyways, here we go. Um, here is the message today. We are talking out of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And it says this. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's having this conversation with Peter in front of his disciples, and this is the conversation that changes the game forever. Little did he know that like 2,000 years later, the church would be thriving. Uh, the church would be grown in such a way that there would be more than a billion people on the planet that are following Jesus because of the leadership that Peter brought. I don't know if you know, but the idea that Jesus had was not that you would attend a church, but that you would be the church, that the Holy Spirit would live in you in such a way that it impacts the society that we live in. That's why Jesus went to the cross, so that you would carry the resurrection power of Jesus. What I love about the church, um, and if I'm real about it, the church over centuries has had some highs and lows. It has done some things that I'm not so proud of. And as a believer, you should also not be proud of. Amen? Amen. Cool. But that being said, there are some things that the church has done that make me want to stand up and shout, yeah, we're, the, we're awesome, you know, because of Jesus, you know. But anyways, here's what I know. Uh, the history of the church is actually powerful. Think about it like this. In society today, who has taught a consumer society that generosity is paramount? The church. We have said you give, even when you can't afford to give, you give. And as the world that we're living in right now is hyperventilating because their stocks have, have fallen, the church is still giving and displaying to people. Giving is important, and we will rebound from this. Amen. Amen. The, what I love is the church has taught forgiveness. What would the world look like in a, in a world, in a society where the church hasn't demonstrated forgiveness? Man, the marriages that have been mended because the church has said forgive, 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 because we learned it from Jesus and Jesus taught us how to do it. We would be a dark society filled with hopelessness had it not been for the church. Every time there is a storm, 
the church is on the front lines with resources, and, and uh, your church has been on the front lines of many storms. There are people that attend our church today because a storm hit their house, literally, and your church showed up. It makes me proud. I, I think about how many of the world today has abandoned children, and the, and the church has fought for life. I've said that it's so important, so much that children that have been abandoned, we will be there in orphanages all over the world. I love that this little dinky church right here, you may not even know, you know, our church has built, paid for two orphanages. Come on, Come on now, that little dinky church on Cumby Road now. Yes, sir. The one that's on the World Wide Web, y'all. Don't let it get to your head, pastor. Yeah. The church has been the hope of the nations for a long time. And Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Uh, you are the fragrance to those who are perishing. Uh, you are kind of a big deal. And in the time that we live in right now, it's super important that we lift our voice. We we're praying about re-entering into church. And uh, God was telling me that it's important that we don't just gather back to attend church but that we recognize that we are the church and we begin to seek God in prayer and seek God in prayer and seek God in prayer. And this started about three weeks ago. We, we started saying, you know, we need to start fasting and praying and fasting and praying. And, and as we were doing that, um, you remember the, the sermons that came out recently were about preparing ourselves, right? And so what we didn't realize is that we were going to go from one pandemic to another. And uh, I get the sense that there may be another one coming just following. And I don't know how long this pandemic that we're in is going to last, but we have to talk about it. And uh, it's a hard subject, and so it can put a damper on the celebration that you have about attending church. But today, I need to make sure that you are aware of where the Scripture stands about being the church, not just believing in it. And I believe that this message stands a high probability of offending a large majority of you. And I want you to know as your pastor, sorry, not sorry. Um, and so with that being said, uh, the Lord began to speak to me about how awesome I thought I was in praying and fasting for the church. And he took me to Isaiah chapter 58. And uh, because my perspective often is the only one that's right. You ever feel that way? You're right. Seven billion people on earth. Who knows more than you? We laugh about it, but we believe it, y'all. Uh, this, is this the kind of fast that I have chosen, says the Lord? Only a day for the people to humble themselves? question mark? Is it only for the bowing of one's head like a reed and for the lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen, says the Lord, to loose the chains of injustice and untie cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and pro pro provide the poor wandering with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn them away from your own flesh and blood. And then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here I am. As I was praying and asking God to prepare our hearts for what's coming, the Lord would say to me, Tim, I haven't called you to just pray. I care about justice 
in society. Now, what's crazy is, as we look at this, I think we all have an opinion as an outsider, and we all say, I'm crying for justice too, man. Things are jacked up, and they're wrong. And what I have learned as I have watched that Facebook thing that's happening, is there is a lot of people with an argument right now, and no one is wrong. Everyone is right. I don't know how that's possible. And what happens is we, when we're right and you're wrong and you don't hear me tell you that you're wrong, so we yell louder. And what's happening is the world is shouting right now on the top of their lungs and no one's listening. Amen. Today, I feel like God, I probably have about 30 hours of prayer, not preparation, into this message. I've cried and wept to the point where I want to throw up so many times. It's been unreal. I have fallen asleep praying and woken up praying with my stomach in absolute knots. And I've actually been multiple times discussed it with the church. The first point that I believe the Lord is talking to me about today is this. We need to admit that Racism is real. Let's pray. Jesus, if there's ever been a time for you to help me, I'd like that now. Hide my opinion and reveal your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Admit that racism is real. It's hard because if I'm being honest, I don't see it because it's, it's not in my heart. Um, and, uh, but I do know that there's been multiple times in my life where I've, I've fallen into the trap of blaming groups of people for something that someone did. There's been times where I've uh, felt that way about Muslims, judging the Muslim behind me because of what the media has put in front of my face, as if what's happening thousands of miles away is what's happening in line at the grocery store. What's in that guy's heart, God? There's been times where I've judged entire groups of people based on, I've walked in front of a large, studly, tough black dude before and felt a little insecure about my own masculinity and safety. And that's wrong. I realize there's a lot of us that have insecurities, though, and it could feed off of other people. And I realize that there's an insecurity that's happening in the society we're living in, and it's causing waves that we haven't understood. Racism is real. I don't see it, though. When I was a kid, I actually thought I was black. Um, I don't know if you ever met one of those kids. That was me. Uh, being black was cool. And so, being black is cool. Consider me Miles Davis, you know? I don't know. That was a line from a movie, and I, I yeah. Um, I, um, I, I remember uh, my, we were poor, and so uh, I would take, like, whatever pants uh, my mom bought me and, um, and pull them as low as I could. I was that guy. 14 years old with cornrows and braces. I was cool. I was hip. I'd buy for us bias T-shirts from friends because I, uh, I was cool. I didn't see racism. Uh, but I did have family members that would say some pretty gnarly words about my friends and about me as I brought them over. And um, I didn't understand the weight of it. It actually didn't offend me in the same way it would offend a fellow black person uh, because I didn't understand the gravity of those words. 
We'll talk about that in a little bit. Racism is real. And if uh, so you may be a visitor from out of town, uh, and you may be here for two years now, three years, four years. I've lived in Polk County for over 20 years now, and I can tell you one thing. I can't speak for Atlanta, Georgia, or New York, or California, but I can speak for Polk County. And there is some strong racism going on here. Has been for years. And the longer you lived here, the more you may hold on to what you are convinced isn't real. And that's why the world is shouting, because they're trying to tell you that they're experiencing something that you think is fake. And that's hard when they're dying on the inside and you're dismissing it. We're changing the subject, changing the narrative and pointing it at something else. There was a time in my life where um, me and my wife were in a super dark season of our life. And um, we, we were having a baby, and I was asking God a lot of hard questions. And God had given me a verse to live on. It was like a life verse. And um, it was found in Micah, which is why we named our firstborn son, because of this verse. That verse has come full circle again in my life, and I felt like you need to understand it's a foundational principle to today's message. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. The Lord God told us what is right and what He demands. To see that justice is done, let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. This is what God wants, to see justice done, but let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. You know, what's crazy is all of us in this room that believes that Scripture is truth would identify that that verse is what they're screaming for in this hour. But it's funny how we can have perspective, isn't it? It's funny how some of us can be like, but they're out of control and they're burning buildings. They're wrong. They're screaming and throwing things at, at police officers. They're wrong. Yeah, 100%. And when you were 16 years old, you were pretty young and stupid and wrong about a lot of things also. But to dismiss what is happening by and large right now because of some young punk kids, you're missing the whole point. Scripture says that's called swallowing uh, the camel, straining at the gnat, you know? You, you, you see the, the, pl the, the, the splinter in your neighbor's eye, but not the plank in your own. What's happening is people are scared. Racism is real. They feel it, and we don't. That's my first point today. And my second point is this. People are hurting. People are hurting right now. Yeah. Lord, help me convey this message. I spoke with a pastor this week, and he shared his story. A black local pastor who this year bought his first house. You know the feeling of buying your first, owning it, man. I mean, it's my house. And that week, he's moving stuff into his house, and he has friends over, a whole bunch of his family members, black family, out in the front yard. They're all shaking hands, high-fiving, congratulations. And in that moment of joy, an old lady drives by, stops her car in front of their house, and rolls down her window. And she yells, you're not welcome here.
you don't see that that happens today to people who don't deserve it. And because you're white, you're convinced that it's not happening. But that mom has to that night go inside their room with their kids and explain to them that, son, things are going to be different for you because you're black. People are going to say things that's different historically. They're going to dislike you because, see, we think it's just their insecurity. No, 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 no. And insecurity is when you're short and you want to uh, have a, a tough man syndrome. And insecurity is when you feel like you're overweight and people are looking at you differently because you're overweight. That's, that's an insecurity. No, no, it's real. And the difference is no one ever killed someone because they were short. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But our country has murdered people because of the color of their skin. Yeah. And so it's still being said all around them. And here's the difference. This is what I realized about this prayer. Racism is real. And what happens is with the way that... Um, Terrorism happens. What's difficult for our soldiers when they go to war is they can't tell the difference between somebody who's in their heart is murder and somebody who's a friend. And black folk can't see the difference of someone who actually has intent to love them and somebody who has intent to hate them in the same way that we have murdered in the past. And they're hurting. And the scripture says this, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and I prayed if you have ears to hear that you would hear this verse, church, because we are called to be the church. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the whole law of Christ. If you just carry each other's burdens, he would go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. If one part suffers, then every part of the body of Christ should suffer. Black folk are part of this family, y'all. I'm telling you, Jesus made you and he made them and there's no separation. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Amen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What I recognize is that there are part of the body of Christ right now that are mourning. And what we see right now are videos of people doing wrong and we're changing the narrative. My first point is racism is real. Because you don't see it, doesn't mean it ain't happening. It's like me trying to explain to an atheist that God's real. I don't see him. He's real. The second thing is, People are hurting, and if we're going to be like Christ, we're going to carry those burdens. If you want to be the church, this great, powerful identity, this great, powerful deity, this great power, there, there is, we are the church. We have to listen to what's going on out there. My third point is this. We need to listen. I did a funeral couple years ago. It's really personal to me, and some of you don't know about it. I was out of town. Without getting into too many of the details, there was a death. A young mom and drugs were involved. Mom died because of drugs. Mom was divorced from, from dad. He was in jail because of some family issues. And dad actually had happened to get out of jail that week prior. 
And um, at the funeral, I kid you not, dad came, filled with emotion, and wanted to claim custody of his daughter. He had a perspective, and he was right. The courts granted custody to mom and to grandma. And dad came to claim his daughter at the funeral. People all around were mourning and crying. And dad is there. And it became crazy. Can you imagine a father coming to claim his daughter and a group of people mourning over the loss of a mom and the confusion of a daughter? Here's what I know. Social media makes things that are distant feel like it's happening in your front yard. This murder that just happened, murder. If you saw it, wow. Makes black folk feel like it's happening to their family member. Well, you don't understand that because you don't understand. You haven't been called a word that takes them back to a time where they actually were And what I'm realizing is um, just a month and a half ago, two months ago, there was a young man that was murdered for going on a jog. And as these things happen, they feel racism. They don't know that your intention is to love them or that you're okay with them. What they know is right now they're saying this has been happening and happening and happening, and racism still exists. And we're changing the narrative and saying, no, 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 you guys are wrong, and you shouldn't be talking right now. You shouldn't be yelling. You shouldn't be parading. You definitely shouldn't be starting fires. Uh, if I was to go back to Mr. Rogers, here's what I know. Mr. Rogers, as a kid, would say that kids are allowed to have emotions. They're allowed to be scared. They're allowed to be confused. They're allowed to not have answers. And they're allowed to be angry. Mr. Rogers would talk stories, that movie that just came out recently. He'd say, it makes you so mad, it makes you want to bite your lip. And it makes you want to punch a pillow. Mr. Rogers would also teach that grown-ups have those same feelings that they don't understand and they don't know how to control. We all have feelings that well up inside of us so much that make us want to shout. Here's what I know. I'm married to grown adults. And sometimes when I get into my marriage with my wife, uh, we'll get into a conversation about something and she doesn't, she forgets that she's wrong and I'm right. And what happens in that moment is it can get jaded. It can get confusing really quick to the point where uh, she hurt my feelings because she was wrong and I was right. And, uh, and I actually can sometimes lift my voice even in front of my kids. Anyone else ever been there? And I'll yell at her. And she'll yell back because you don't know my wife. That Spanish in her is real, y'all. Roland, it's your fault. And, uh, and, uh, and she'll yell back right in front of my kids. And I'll yell and she'll yell because she's not hearing that I'm right. And I'm not hearing that she's right and she'll yell louder. Sometimes in some marriages, what happens, it actually, we can yell so much that we get so angry that we don't know what to do that we punch something a wall, throw something 
becomes a domestic violence. They, and they didn't mean it. They weren't the kind of person that were violent. They just got so many feelings came up that I didn't know how to express it, that something's got to happen. There's a culture right now that's screaming so loud that no one's listening that this has been happening and there's been so much hate and so much hate and so much hate that this has been going on and it feels like it's my children now. And it feels like we're at risk. I uh, spoke to people in our church that said that they're afraid to go to the grocery store at night because of what could happen. Because of what's happening on the internet far away feels like it's happening right here, but it is happening right here. But it's not been murder. But we use words like that. We're dismissing the argument and saying, well, they shouldn't act like that and they shouldn't march like that and they shouldn't throw things like that and we're changing the narrative and they're grieving. There's a funeral that's happening right now and they're allowed to yell right now and they're allowed to be scared right now and they're allowed to be angry right now because you're allowed to do that when someone in your family dies. It's confusing. And it feels like it's happening to them awful. And I've watched church people change the narrative and make it about something that it's not. They're scared and they're grieving. And it's our responsibility to be the church, to carry their burden and say, I hear you. You're scared. I'm scared too. No one's ever called me a word that had anything associated with murder but it has happened to them. And they're afraid that it's still happening today. And they have the right to be afraid. And we should hear that. But when we're yelling as loudly as we are, we don't hear them. And so what happens is it escalates and it turns into punching and throwing and spitting and cussing all because no one's listening. Everyone's right. And another video shows up on your feed of how wrong they are. And so we change the narrative. Yeah, but look at this situation. There's a lot of situations happening everywhere and we can't control anything but what's happening right here. It is the responsibility of the church to stand behind those that feel marginalized. That's what Jesus did. When the woman was caught in adultery, He defended her and sent everyone else home packing. And there are people right now that are scared and confused. And to have any other subject right now, you're missing the point. The last point is this. We need reconciliation. I I can't speak for what's happening in Atlanta or New York or Polk, uh, but I can speak for what's happening right here in Polk County. And here's what I know. I see separation right here. I see segregation going on right here. What do you mean? Man, it's like the communities are separate. To, like This is your side and this is our side and let's not blend it together. Why is it that black folks don't feel comfortable in churches? They have to have their own. Well, that's on them. They're insecure. They got to know that I love them. How does anyone know what's in your heart unless you say it? And right now when they're screaming, I'm scared. And then we've changed the narrative to we'll grow up and stop acting that way. Do they real feel like you care about their children or their grandchildren or their, no, 
The narrative right now is about, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that the church has done those things years ago and has allowed those things to happen in our, our culture because we are the front line. That's right. The buck has always stopped here. And so what's happening is the narrative is changing and getting crazier and crazier. Some people actually think it's about politics right now. It's not about Trump or Biden. or No, 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 no. It's always started with the church. So Jesus said this, or the Chronicle said this. He said that if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and if they'll seek my face and turn from their sins, then I'll hear them of their, of, of, of their prayers, forgive them of their sins, and I'll heal their land. If we want to see healing in our land, we have to start by humbling myself. Here's what I know. God gave us two ears and one mouth. Shut up. Listen. Listen far more than you talk. Watch what's going on. Look around. You're going to see anger in a lot of things, and that happens when people are hurting. Hurt people hurt people. <clears throat> Reconciliation is needed. Jesus prayed this right before he went to the cross in John 17. He said, I pray that you are one with each other. All of you. I want to see more brown people in my church, more black folk in my church, less white folk in my church. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to push you out. We want to look like heaven, yes. Come on. but we have to act like that. Here's what I know. When me and my wife are fighting, wise men once said, a grown man is going to take responsibility of that argument. And take the blame. Sometimes you have to put your big pants on and say it's my fault. Even when it's not your fault. That's what the church has got to do. And instead right now we're yelling louder than them. And that ain't going to fly. Let me, let me tell you one thing I know about Jesus. I was wrong. I sinned. I hurt people. I lied. And Jesus died for me. Yes. And Jesus said, it is your fault. But now it's my fault. You broke it. I'll fix it. Guys, be the church. It means I, I, I don't know what you're going through. But I hear that you're scared. And we need reconciliation. Be the church says, I'm sorry, I'll be there for you the same way Jesus has been there for me. Be the church says, we've always been the front lines. We'll be the front lines right now. This is a heavy message because I think there's a heavy calling on our lives. I ask you to search your heart for just a minute. I know you ain't racist. Maybe. But will you take responsibility for what someone else may have broke? For the hurt and the anger that's in them and say, I want to be the solution. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to know that I'm not asking you to, to become anything that Jesus isn't calling you to become.
And more importantly, what I love about the Lord is He's not asking me to do anything that He didn't do first. He loved me while I was still a sinner. What an example. Lord, teach me to love like you. Rachel, would you sing? heavy message um, can't tell you how many times I want to throw up even like right now here's what you need to know this sermon is massively incomplete there are so many other things that should be said and would be said by someone better this is just the start of a conversation 100% change needs to happen there are a people 
that are screaming on the top of their lungs today all across our country that they don't feel welcome. And that, that sucks. God, teach me to love like you. Teach me to make my motives so clear that there is room at my table. I I understand that some of you are going to struggle through this message and understanding like, uh, what I'm from my perspective, you're missing a lot. I get it. But if your narrative is not one of love, I think you're missing it. I am. Um, now we are like far out of time. And so this whole TV thing is brutal, you know. We have a third service that's got to start here in a couple minutes. And so uh, we're going to need a lot of feedback from you guys. If you felt comfortable today, that's good for us to hear. Not me, but like text in. If you think that you would be welcoming more people next week, you should text that. And if you think you don't want more people next week, you should definitely text that. We need to hear your voice. Because uh, there's a lot of people that said, hey, look, I couldn't get a seat. Um, And... uh, Anyways, this message series is going to be powerful. I believe it's going to get gooder and gooder as we go on. And um, I love you guys with all my heart, and I'm so fired up to be here. But more importantly, I got to tell you, more, more important than going to church, I think it's far more better that we are the church and that we recognize that what just happened, now we get to go outside these doors and do it. And that... That is what makes the Lord stand up. Um, and so I love you, and I pray that you love the hell out of this world, man. Um, yeah. Father, thank you for your spirit in our church, in our hearts, in our lives. Thank you that we carry what you've done on the cross and what you did when you overcame the grave. We, that lives right inside of us. Teach us to love like only you can. Teach us to hear and feel what you feel. We want to know what injustice feels like. And um, man, our country needs you, God. And I need you. Help me live for you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, I love my pastor. He's a great guy. Uh, Maybe next week, right? Hey, love you guys. See you later.